Greetings, friends. I'm Will Nicholas from Never Odd or Even, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast, exploring faith and fiction. Deep Space Nine. It's a wonderful reflective moment. Flame the dark. True salt wave. Deep Space Nine. Deep Space Nine. What's going on? Why is this being highlighted? That itself is another interesting question, isn't it? I think I'm starting to get why this science fiction thing is uh, <laughs> uh, is so attractive. You'll, you'll make a sci-fi fan out of me yet. Greetings, friends. This is Will Nicholas, and this is the Deep Faith Nine podcast. And uh, today we're going to be looking at the episode of season three, which is number 22, Explorers. And um, it's going to be uh, lots of uh, funny moments and uh, fun moments uh, for this one. Uh, and uh, I'm going to bring you the synopsis as I normally do. So, Cisco rebuilds an ancient Bajoran space vessel from the blueprints. He uses the authentic materials and goes into great detail to make it just like the original vessel that was reportedly used 800 years earlier to transport Bajoran spacefarers all the way to Cardassia. He and Jake take a trip on this vessel, attempting to prove that the ancient Bajorans did go beyond their solar system on a vessel like this without warp drive. The B story, uh, we get to hear more about Dr. Bashir uh, and uh, being salutedictorian uh, second in the class because he um, made a, an error uh, in his uh, final exam. And we get to come across um, Elizabeth Lenz, the person who beat him in that we get to see some interesting insights into um, the evolution of um, Julian Bashir and his relationships with others on board the space station. To join me to talk through this uh, episode that is full of change, transition, hopes, dreams of the future and regrets from the past uh, is my son, Elliot Nicholas. Welcome to the podcast, Elliot. Thank you. It's good to be here. Now, Elliot, um, you've been on the podcast before, I think twice now, um, and yep. uh, I'm really excited to have you on the podcast again today. Um, and um, I, I'm, I'm interested in your initial insights uh, about this episode. Also, want to recognise that sitting in the background, if you could see, uh, is Winchester, who is lounging on the bed, looking very relaxed. So yeah. <laughs> um, it's great to have Winchester on board today as well, uh, who has appeared in a number of podcasts. Uh, <laughs> involuntarily in the past. Now you get to see him physically. So. That's right. And uh, I've taken a little picture, so I'll put that up as part of the uh, podcast recording uh, um, um, pre-thing. All right, Elliot, so what um, what jumped out for you in this episode? I think I, I found it quite interesting um, uh, that Ben Benjamin Sisko, he, uh, he tries very hard to prove the Cardassians wrong. Yep. Um, like he's... Uh, I wouldn't say he's driven by that that main reason why he created a an ancient Bajoran um, spaceship, but uh, it seemed like a pretty big um, uh, contender, like a pretty big reason for him to keep going was to prove to Gal Dukat and um, the other Cardassians in the main government that they're wrong and that Bajorans are like we're always space. Um, space worthy and we're always um, advanced that far so and this is important because um, the Bajorans are coming out of a time where they've been oppressed by the Cardassians uh, and the Cardassians certainly because of that time of enslavement and oppression they seem to be technologically superior to the Bajorans um, so for the Bajorans to have uh, discovered Cardassia first um, is a is a significant um a significant thing. Uh, yeah. I wondered whether it was so much that he was interested in proving the Cardassians wrong, or whether he wanted to prove the Bajorans right. I mean, I guess they're they're yeah. two sides of the same yeah. coin, you know, like. But different yeah. perspectives, yeah. Yep. No, I I think he's he definitely, um, because I'm not sure if the episode where he becomes the emissary is apparent yet, but he's kind of always uh, had this attraction, like this 
this interest and this um, compassion towards Bajorans. So, um, and the species as a whole. So, I feel like he's he's always been um, uh, like taking the taking the Bajoran side. So, absolutely. Plus, he's he's got Major Kira, which is a you know pretty big person in his life. So. Well, and it's a real win for the Bajorans, I think. If this is something that's true, then it's a bit of a self-esteem builder. You know, people don't expect that the Bajorans were great space travellers 800 years ago. Now, now, interestingly, this episode is set in the year 2371, which means that 800 years before that, according to my maths, would be 1571. Um and um and fifteen seventy one um we certainly on Earth weren't setting out into um the stars uh, although uh, I did look up and see that Kepler and Galileo 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 Figaro um yeah. were talking about solar sails and solar wind in sixteen oh eight sixteen oh eight well that's mm. a bit late but. Uh... So only a few years after. Um, so so, but it's really fascinating. Um, and and um, we'll get onto this in a minute. But solar sails, um, being able to travel um, at high speeds because of the photons colliding with the surface of uh, of of large reflective sails that have been produced, is actually a thing. And that NASA has been working on it, and um, that several governments, including the Australian government. Uh, and the Japanese government and um, and the Russians um, have actually been working on perfecting solar sails for quite some time now. Wow, that's so that's pretty interesting. This is a nice bit of science, yeah. Yeah. Very cool. <laughs> well, I also I'm very keen to hear your insights on the relationship between Jake and his father Ben in this situation, uh, especially considering you know uh, I could say the line, "I am your father." Um, you know, um, in in this particular episode, you know, we are a father son um, uh, pair, and and there is a sense in which, you know, um, Jake being seventeen in this episode, you being seventeen, uh, having a birthday, um, well, really uh, two days two after day, this podcast is released. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> so uh, and Ooh. which which birthday will that be, Elliot? My well, you've. My 18th birthday. 18th birthday. So that's very exciting. Um, so what did you see in that relationship between um, Ben and Jake? Um, well, I guess there was a bit of an evolution between the beginning and the end of the episode where in the beginning uh, Ben kind of sees Jake as uh, as his son, like, well, you know that's that's obvious, but um, sees him as a child and sees him as a as a teenager and that kind of stuff. But when he gets onto the ship and they spend a, that couple of days with each other, and Jake shares the you know the need to well, Jake shares that he's um, got this um, uh, got this invitation um, scholarship from from Wellington from uh, New Zealand about a riding, was it a riding school or some, yep. or a academy? Yeah. Um, where he starts to kind of see that Jake is like, Ben starts to kind of see that Jake is um, more of an adult now. And so towards the end of the episode, you see them kind of have more um, adult conversations. So it's not so much um, uh, ben talking to his son, but Ben talking to another man. So, yep. so which I thought was kind of nice because it's it's kind of hard, especially when you've got a father and a son. That kind of situation, the the father will probably want to keep treating the son like a son, like would or like a child. So, but that's every parent with their kids. And then when they figure out, like, oh no, my child's actually turning into an adult. I need to start respecting that they're an adult. You know, which is which makes the child feel so much better. We do get used to our roles, don't we? We we get used to you know the way we've always been, um, and 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 parents, you know, they spend two decades um, caring for, protecting, and providing for their children, and then there comes a day when um, they they're no longer needed for that role anymore. <laughs> like it, it, it's uh, yeah. it's an interesting shift, isn't it? Yeah. And it probably comes off because I've not I've never been a parent, but it probably comes off as a bit um, 
like you're being cast aside. But but the the thing is like the kid doesn't need you as a parent, but needs you as a as a peer, like needs you as a as a friend, as a as a person to um, come to and talk to, not a person to wash your clothes and clean clean your stuff. So. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And look, I think it's actually, um, it's really uh, part of the reason why I asked you onto this podcast is that, that this is not a, a theoretical exercise for, for you and I at the moment, but actually we're, we're, we're actually trying to work out and navigate what it means um, for you um, to, to have greater independence um, and, um, and to, to, to have the opportunity to explore who you are as an individual um, without it being part of part of who I am as an individual um, so you, you're going to gain some significant freedoms in the next um, couple of months couple of days um, as you actually transition um, into uh, adulthood yeah I, for some reason I don't really see like um, I don't know in my personal opinion I don't know if it's because of the relationship that we already have but I just don't, I don't, it, it doesn't feel like I'm going to all of a sudden have all of these freedoms because I kind of already have like a lot of freedom. Yep. So um, it just, it doesn't feel like I'm, you know, released off the chains. Like that's, yeah, yep. which is certainly a couple of years ago, if you asked me what that's going to feel like was definitely what I would answer with, but not, not anymore. Like I just feel like it's just a part of life now. Like it's, yeah, it doesn't, I don't know. It just doesn't feel as great as yep. as um as other people put it out to be. I don't know. You've kind of grown into it, haven't you? I mean Yeah. It's and, been a slow process. And, and so there's this interesting dynamic where it feels like it's going to be a big deal. And even in this episode we see sort of Ben being a bit n- nervous, um and um and and Jake kind of not wanting to share with his father or talk to his father about things that matter to him. Um, and, and yet when the moment comes and it's time for them to actually share and actually talk, um, adult to adult, um, it's actually, it's, it's actually quite a smooth process. It's actually quite a, quite a, 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 a gracious process. Um, and I think, I mean, I think that's because Ben has done such a good job at actually being a father. Mm. Yeah. It hasn't been mm. easy for Jake. Um, he's moved around a lot from uh, one posting to another. Um, he uh, he hasn't always had um, lots of friends or connections where he's gone from one place to another. I mean, in, in this case, Jake's had to grow up without his mother. Um, so, um, you know, there, there's a lot of reasons why there might be a lot of tension in their relationship, but they actually seem to have... A, a really strong relationship where they're able to communicate with each other. Yeah, well, well, Ben Benjamin Cisco is actually a, a pretty good um, idea of a father. Like he's he's you know always keeping in su- his son in mind, and he's spending time with his son, and and um, he's he's willing to you know go uh, if this if if he's not interested in the same things that I am, that's okay. Um, uh, I'll just I'll just let him just do his own thing just as long as he's doing it like and he's enthusiastic in what he's doing mm. so he's he's very invested in Jake's life and I feel like that's that's what a father should be doing so so you would recommend that uh, fathers who are unsure about how to relate to their teenage children their adolescents as they begin to head towards this phase that that Ben Cisco would have a lot to teach and a lot to offer in in regards to to how to how to relate uh, to your growing children as they become adults. Yeah. And I think maybe sometimes because Cisco is um the the captain of the space station pretty much. He uh he kind of has to remember to take off his captain hat and put on his father hat sometimes where he's not um ordering his son around and uh you know talking to him as if he's a a lower ranking officer. He needs to remember that he is his son, so he needs to, you know, speak with a different level of compassion and empathy. And sometimes I think fathers tend to forget that that's how they should talk to their kids, or that they they forget that they don't need to be talking to them like a like a like a baby or give them instructions and stuff like that. So, yep. Yeah. It's a real tension, isn't it? Trying to work out how much freedom 
to gear for safety um, and for for you know we want to we want to make sure that that our children are safe but at the same time and if we if we keep them completely locked up then they'll never grow and learn they'll never become more than they are I, I also want to um, I guess give some um, kudos to, to, to Jake uh, and some encouragement to Jake in terms of you know if I were talking to adolescents about how to relate to their fathers um, Jake is, is is able to talk to his father about anything um he's he's open um he he um he takes the time to listen and and he he um he looks for ways that he can also be uh, open and involved in his father's life um and i i love that in this in this episode there's this initial conversation where uh ben saying to jake um, I want to do this trip and I'd love you to come with me. And Jake's got all these reasons why his life is, is so busy. Um, and, um, and, uh, you know, it's a bit cats in the cradle-ish, you know, like the, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon and the, you know, uh, son, let's spend some time together. Ah, oh, you know, my girlfriend's coming back and, uh, I've got all of these things to do. Um, and, and suddenly the, the father who maybe hasn't had a lot of time, or has always had reasons why he might not be able to spend time with his son is now actually facing that his son has got a life um, and a plans of his own. But I love that Jake takes that away and actually has a think about it and says, actually, this is something that I can do. This is, I could, I could work out how to make all this fit. And, and part of being an adult is actually trying to work out how the business of life all fits together. Um, and so I, I thought that was a, a very mature decision for for jake to make to say i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, make some time to hang out with my dad and um and support him in his nerdy passions like uh like like right now (laughs) so i really appreciate that you've actually taken some time out to support me in my 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 nerdy passion um my sometimes i think my family gets uh, a little tired of me uh raving about uh my deep faith nine and uh voyager podcasts but um but uh, I, I really appreciate that you have uh, taken the time to to take this journey with me um, uh, uh, through this yeah. episode. We're all trekkies here, so it's all right. Um, yeah, I yeah. So we sat and watched the episode earlier today, um, and um, made some some notes and other bits and pieces. I I did want to mention some of the nerdy stuff. Um, so. Um, I, I did mention that um, that that solar sails are are a real thing, uh, and um, that um, that uh, these solar sails catch photons, so light. And the way I I, I I did some research into this, and and the way it was explained to me on the research was that that the, whilst the light photons don't have any mass, they do have momentum. And so when they hit a reflective surface, surface, even though they actually don't put any weight to that surface, they actually, their momentum bounces them off the surface. And so in a vacuum, there's no resistance. So that momentum causes um, it to go forward. And so enough of these photons are hitting the reflective surface. And, and so eventually the photons could actually get a solar sail ship up to the speed of light, which is actually an incredible Warp speed. speed. Yeah. Um, and um, in this particular case, there's also these, uh, what did they call them? Um, eddies, um, uh, tetrion eddies that actually propel the ship and and in, and create this dramatic moment where the sails kind of break off a little bit. Um, and that's where father and son um, start to become crew of one ship working together. I thought that was very interesting because... Um, it it seemed like the Bajorans when they created those first ships, they had accidentally reached warp speed, and that's how they discovered Cardassia. Because if you if you aligned what Ben and Jake did with with their ship, then it's entirely possible that the Bajorans did the exact same thing, which means they accidentally reached warp speed, which I think is interesting, like very very incredible. Oh, didn't you just love the speech from Gold Ducat when they arrived at Cardassia? <laughs> he delivered it with such passion. I've been asked to convey a message from the Cardassian government. 
Your voyage is a testament to the spirit of the ancient Bajorans who first ventured out into space. It could not be more appropriate that your arrival coincides with the discovery here on Cardassia of an ancient crash site, a site that our archaeologists believe contains the remnants of one of the Bajoran vessels whose journey you have just recreated. Oh, such vigor. Yeah. <laughs> he was so into it. He was so... Oh, uh, yeah. No, it's, it really shows a little foreshadowing that he's the main antagonist, doesn't it? Because he's, he's just so put off by Cisco's um, need to, to prove the Bajoran's right. So, yeah. And, and he really, I mean, he really does feel that sense of competition um, with Cisco. Um, and and he needs to to I guess look look at making statements about why he he's as good as if not better than Cisco. I mean, yeah. Gold Decott was the commander of the space station before uh, Cisco was. Oh wait, is that a spoiler? I think because I just said that he's the main antagonist. Oh no, no, we've already had several antagonistic oh, okay. moments with uh, okay. with Gold Decott, and we don't worry about spoilers with this one anyway. But it is interesting because you see, I, I think I mean what we're looking at here between Jake and Ben is the ideal relationship, but there are relationships between p- parents and children um, uh, that actually can sometimes be competitive, and especially um, when we when we think about fathers and sons that often. Um, sons feel they need, need yeah. to compete with their fathers um, yeah. to take their place. Uh, this yeah. this is called the Oedipus complex, where a father in Greek mythology um, needs to be vanquished by his son in order for the son to take his place in 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 life. Uh, and yeah. likewise, a um, you know a, um, a, a a father can feel the need to oppress or control their children in order to actually feel like they're not losing power. Um, yeah, yeah, so. Which is a false sense of security and masculinity, which I think neither of the two, Jake and Ben, have. Like they're they're willing to, be, um, humble with each other. Like they're willing to be like, okay, well you've got skills, I've got skills. You know that's, yep. that's good. Like you're you're not my rival. You're my um you're my coworker. You're my uh, you know you're my teammate. So. Now, being a young um, um, trans man, you've done a lot of thinking about masculinity um, and um, and tried to have some thoughts about what kind of masculine masculinity you 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 want to to portray. Like, there's a sense in which, you know, some would suggest, oh, well, look, there's there's only male and female, there's only feminine and masculine. Um, we've talked on the podcast before about how there is a a broad spectrum of different ways to be for men and women. Um, uh, do you want to share some of your journey, and, and especially since uh, you know recently you've actually been undergoing not not replacement, replacement yeah replacement therapy, therapy yeah, um, affirming a gender yeah. affirming hormones um, uh, yeah. and in testosterone. What's that been like to actually um, go through that 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 process? Not only to go through the process of transitioning from child to adult, but actually you know a, a second puberty almost. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, it is a very second puberty type feeling right I thought because I had experienced it before it might be a little bit easier but I feel like it's just as hard (laughs) so um but it's quite interesting um because being 17 turning 18 most of the other guys in my year level have already experienced puberty and are already like over that hurdle so they're they're already there so just going through that puberty right now versus the other guys in my year level who are already at that level of masculinity uh, I don't know like they're they're already there you know it makes me it kind of makes me feel a little bit better about myself because it feels like I'm catching up so it's quite nice um it's definitely a bit painful in fact I've got my next one next month so that's okay um because it's a big injection isn't it yeah, it'll be a bigger one with a big needle too. Yep. It's not 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 very nice, but it's 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 worth it. No pain, no gain. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think what I've noticed is, um, because I've got multiple, I've got lots of, I got lots of guys guys who are friends of mine in my life. So I've got lots of guys who are the same age as me, lots of guys who are younger than me, lots of guys who are a lot older than me, and most of the time I have lots of, um a male adult um figures in my life so I've got a lot of those 
um, and all of them are very different people. So, um, so it's it's kind of hard to um, n- not necessarily choose, but but kind of hard to pick what's what's right with me at the moment because um, I just in terms of situations you can't really pretend to be someone else in terms of masculinity you can only be yourself yep so i've i've learned that um you can't you know try and be a big macho man that's uh you know all brawn and no brains so it's um you got to play to who you are and what your skills are and and what you've been taught and what you like and um what your values are and so yeah, and uh, you know anybody who's listened back to the previous episodes will will hear that your your voice has changed. You've uh, you've <laughs> dropped uh, you've dropped almost an octave in terms of your voice. Yeah, yeah. Um, you're you've you've gotten stronger. Um, um, so yep. there are male characteristics. <laughs> you you've had to start shaving. Um, yep. so so there are all these physical characteristics, but then there's all of these mental, emotional, um, and psychological characteristics. As well, um, how how have you have been able to navigate that by yourself? Well, it's been difficult. I what I've noticed is uh, I used to shut down a lot more. Like I used to shut down before testosterone. In terms of conflict and adversity, I used to just shut down or or go go away or run away and and cry about it and then and be sad. But now I'm uh, in times of uh, struggle or hostility towards other people, I'm more likely to confront them and be angry about it mm. and uh, and do something about it. So um, uh, whether that's physical or you know verbal i it'll it'll be one of the uh, one of the other and throughout um my struggles with the with the hormone replacement therapy and the gender affirming hormones um i've actually noticed that people have taken a lot more um uh, have given me a lot more attention that way whether it's positive or negative i get both so whenever i face negative times about people noticing my transition and how much more obvious it is I um I want to do something about it and I want to confront them and I want to tell them what they're doing is wrong so um so I've had to kind of tame that a little bit because I already had uh you know emotional impulses and and I already had uh wouldn't say anger issues but I, I already had a short fuse so it's uh it's hard when you've already got that but uh, I just I just keep communicating to um to you to to mum to um other adults in my life like I'm not doing very well or I'm very sensitive at the moment um and uh I need you to just whenever I'm looking like I'm going to create something that I might regret later um I need you to remind me that I'm going to regret that later Mm. um so so yeah um always having adults who have been there and done that tell you what like where the limit is is good, so. and it's not so much that you're under their control, but but actually you learn that being an adult means that you become accountable to all of the adults in your community, um, and that that it's actually not not like when you're a kid you kind of might feel like oh everyone's telling me what to do and I don't feel like I've got any power. When you're an adult, you don't necessarily have any extra power. Um, but you can negotiate, you can you can communicate, uh, and you can be accountable. Yeah. yeah, when you're when you're an adult, you're more likely to work together with each other to like hold each other up and and stay focused and stay uh, like and and be good. So you're less likely to feel like they're controlling you and more like no, they're they're helping you out. They're making sure that you 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 actually are keeping yourself in check because that's what you're doing. You're asking them to keep you in check yeah. so it's your self-control when i was looking at this earlier i uh, i was listening to cat stevens song father and son which actually talks about um this kind of transition where where um the the father and the son are actually not communicating very well and they use that song uh in guardians of the galaxy 2 um where um quill's looking to try and find out or who who is my who's my father um and and 
Um, he's 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 meeting his biological father for the first time, but discovers that he doesn't want to be anything like this one, um, and so he ends up appreciating his adoptive father uh, far more. Um, and um, and so there there are there are these choices that we we can make. We can look around at the the the, the mentors that are around us and actually make decisions about well, I like that aspect and I like that aspect and I like that aspect. Um, yeah, so it's um it's a fascinating um, thing to look at. Yeah. Also, I um like during the period of time since we watched the episode and we're doing the recording now, I actually discovered something that um the the saying "blood is thicker than water." Yep. It actually means the opposite of what you think it means. So, blood is thicker than water means blood is thicker. Um, blood is uh the blood that you spill together on a field of battle or mm. the blood that you spill together um, uh, in adversity. So you're not necessarily biologically crea- um, connected, but you have chosen to f- be with each other and you have chosen to be family. And the water actually represents water in the womb, which means like we've, we've shared the same water. Mm. We've shared the same womb, which means we are family. So it's actually saying the family that we choose and the family that we fight with is thicker and better and stronger than the family that we were born with, which I thought was very interesting because I thought it was, I don't know, I Other thought it around. was, now, yeah, we, blood Were is, you yeah. listening to last week's podcast? Because um, Michelle Kaufman no. said that last week in last week's podcast. Really? When she was no. talking about fa- found families. So, no, so, I, I, um, no, I didn't listen to that. So, so that, that's cool. So proof that uh, it's real. <laughs> you, you've uh, you've you've been able to uh, to to serendipitously confirm you um, your own journey <laughs> alongside Michelle's and uh, yeah. and big shout out to Michelle uh, and to Marie, our um, our Patreon fans um, who uh, who are out there supporting us. Um, and um, uh, uh, also want to let you all know that if you want to become Patreon fans, then you can go to Never Odd or even Media and uh, support us um, uh, with uh, with some of the costs that are involved in uh, web hosting and uh, and getting cool microphones and um, and uh, and um, remote streaming and that kind of stuff. So um, you can you can do that at Never Odd or even Media, and there are secret perks there, you know, like special perks just for the people who are actually patreons and one of them is that you can actually see this recording if you're uh, a patreon member then you can log into the guest link and you can uh, see you could see winchester sleeping there on the bed peacefully um behind um behind he's very cute. yeah <laughs> he is very cute there having a good sleep so um look uh, i think um we've probably covered um the 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 A story uh fairly well. Um, I wanted to have a look at the B story, and there's a good segue into the B story because really the B story is about found family and and found family for for Doctor Bashir. Um, so uh, you know he he doesn't really we don't see his family at all. We don't know anything about his family at this point in time. We find out more about them later on, um, but um. But he has really started to find family, hasn't he? Here on the space station, Deep Space Nine. Yeah, like um, he you can tell that he's actually started to find family by the improvement in his relationships with people like O'Brien. So, the fact that he doesn't hate him anymore. You're not an in between kind of guy. What do you mean? Well, people either love you or hate you. Really. I mean, I hated you when we first met. I remember. But now? And now? Well, now I don't. (sighs) It means a lot to me, Chief. It really does. Really? Well... That is from the heart. I really do not hate you anymore. Which I, I don't, thought was hilarious. I don't hate. <laughs> so, when, when you came on board for the first time, I hated you. And now, <laughs> well, now I don't. I don't. That's right. I mean, I mean, we talked about Bashir, yeah. Yeah, Dr. Bashir says, "Oh, that's the most heartfelt thing you could have ever said to me." So <laughs> I don't hate you. Yeah. Um, 
Look, uh, we certainly have had this conversation about Dr. Bashir a number of times in the first three seasons where where people who've come on the podcast have either loved him or hated him. And he is that kind of person who who actually draws those very strong, very intense yeah. emotions. You know, people either and, – and I think part of it is that, that his first impressions – aren't great like he's not 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 a like he comes across he's very as cocky yeah. stuck up and arrogant yeah. um and difficult uh intellectual um yeah. and so a, a lot of people who haven't got to know him um they do hate him um he's a yeah he's a very um hosh posh kind of private school prick <laughs> yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> that's what I describe him as yeah yeah when the when you see him for the first time that's right that's right and look um you you've had your years of uh, of private school um and um uh, and and there are times i imagine where your friends have actually they can spot that private schoolness yeah in you i um, i remember when when i came to school for the very first time when i went from tasmania to geelong and i went into the public school i Wore all the clothes, wore a tie to school, wore my button-up shirt, that kind of stuff. Got my stuff ready, um, came in, all my books done, all my stuff ready, you know, that kind of stuff. And um, a couple of my friends told me recently that when they first met me, they did not like me at all because I looked very stuck up and yeah. very, very posh and very up myself. So, yep. so I'm glad that I, um, I, I feel like what's happened is, and I think this is the same with Dr. Bashir. I've lost the, the negative mannerisms of being, of thinking you're better than everyone else. Yep. Um, like I've gained humility because I'm in the same ground as everyone else. But I've kept the skills that I had before yep. that that gave me like my studying skills, my speaking skills, my other skills, that kind of stuff that I gained in private school. I didn't lose that, but I gained humility from being in a lower, well, <laughs> a lower. In, a, in a different environment, <laughs> not a lower environment, in a different environment. Yep. <laughs> so, rustic, rustic. Yeah. <laughs> Old fashioned. Yep. No, I, I got there, some. There are, yeah. there, are, there, are, there are high points to both. And I think that's where this relationship between O'Brien, who has come up through the ranks, who's a non-commissioned officer, chief chief engineer, um, yep. that he's always, he's always, you know, had to work hard. He's got calluses on his hands. He's mm. not a university graduate. He's, he's, he's Irish. To, he's apprentice. <laughs> he's Irish. Yes, absolutely. So, so even there, you've got it playing out with, with Bashir. Um, actually, having having a an Indian, a, but a British Indian heritage, yeah. coming out of a uh, British aristocracy framework, um, and um, and um, you've got um, a working class, a working class engineer, engineer, petty officer, a, a, and so this friendship is fraught, um, fraught from the very beginning. I remember their first away mission was the away mission where um, they go um, and. Um, uh, and um, O'Brien has to become the storyteller to actually stand up on the mountain and and make the oh, the yeah. scary thing go away. Yeah. Um. And um. And um. They 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 don't get on. They they don't like each other. Um. And and it's true. I mean, what O'Brien says is, you know, when I first met you, I I hated you. Uh, yeah. Uh, and now now. Now I don't. I I don't. <laughs> and, and there's that tension <laughs> when hilarious. when that scene was playing out where you almost want O'Brien to say, "Now I love you." Yeah. Um, and well, in a kind of because uh, I don't want to be a I don't want to be approving masculine stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. But in some conditions, in some relationships between a man and a man, sometimes they can't say that they love each other like that's i don't know why yeah well but why? It, let's, let's have a think about it. why do you think that might be that it's so hard for men to tell each other that they love each other i don't know maybe it's uh it's weird isn't it awkward i don't know well maybe look they if, just... if you're out there and you you've got an opinion about this and you'd like to share that in the notes in the yeah. in the in the, on the facebook page facebook Never odd or even page, um, then then get in and do that and and uh, look. I'm really, I'm really appreciative of how many of you over the the last week have actually got on and taken uh, Michelle's challenge to fan stream so seriously, uh, and uh, and got on. It's been fantastic to watch the comments rolling in and the conversations you've been having with each other over the last week or so. But yeah, this topic we're going to ask you the question: Why is it so difficult Why? Yeah. for men? 
to actually say they love each other. Um, I don't. I don't know. I feel like maybe because I feel like he means it. Like I feel like he says he says now I don't hate yeah. you, and we know what he means in a sense of now I love you. Yeah. Like now I care about you a lot. Yep. Which, but I guess yeah, because I would drinking and they had alcohol in their system so you know anything so they were being quite honest and forthright with each other um with that now um speaking of the drinking (laughs) um so so (laughs) the reason why the drinking has happened is because dr bashir feels like he's been snubbed what's what's the word young people use go ghosted do you think he's been ghosted? Not, ghosted? Yeah. Left on red. Yeah, left, yeah. left on red. Left I like on, that. Left on red. On red. <laughs> so he's been left on red by Elizabeth Lands, who he already feels insecure about because she beat him um, um, in that final exam because he got a couple of things wrong. Now, uh, so so their response was, I mean, I mean, what you need when something like that happens is a mate who will hang with you. And that's yeah. what O'Brien does. They they end up back yeah. in, I don't know. I think it's O'Brien's quarters. I, mm, I don't know. It might I be Bashir's. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, but they've got a bottle of scotch and they're yeah. they're they're talking it out, singing, <laughs> uh, singing. Yes, they're singing, singing Jerusalem. A hymn. Yes, a, yeah. an ancient British hymn. Now this British hymn, I did some research on this British hymn, Jerusalem. <laughs> um, and did those feet in ancient times walk? on England's fields green. Now, this is actually a a really significant hymn um, because some have suggested that it is the the British national anthem. Now, we know that the national anthem of of, um, England is God Save the Queen, but when the rugby team wins, um, when the Commonwealth game team gets gold medals, Britain, which is actually only a part of the United Kingdom, they they rise as one with this song, this song Jerusalem, this hymn, and it's a fascinating hymn because when they're asking the it's question, a false, it's a false hymn. Well, <laughs> it, it it could be. I mean, it's it's an interesting story. So it it actually it's William Blake's poetry that's been put to song here, and the idea of this is is that at some stage, Jesus must have gone to Britain. And it's part of the Arthurian cycle, the Arthurian legend, that the king the king of, of all creation or the prince of all creation, Jesus Christ, walked in Britain and somehow gave birth to, to Britain's line of kings um, over there. So this is this uh, that Arthur was supposed to be in some way um, connected through the, the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ, to, to this uh, British legacy. It's it's the way in which the British Empire has claimed, uh, I guess, divine authority. Um, and, and as you've said, um, it's, it's, it's actually um, um, complete and utter myth. Historically, yeah, historically it's not accurate. Well, I, I couldn't say for sure, you know, but I would suggest that in all likelihood there was probably no way that Jesus ever went to Britain. Um, and yet... You know, as I started to research this, the claims of Jesus, um, both as a young Jesus and a Jesus um, after the crucifixion, because we know Jesus was raised, there's stories of Jesus going to India and Tibet and meeting with monks and monasteries there. There's even one story and record from Japan that they say that Jesus went to Japan during the last years after the crucifixion and that he died in a village named Shingo Aomori, um, and that there's actually a burial ground which claims to be the final resting place of Jesus in Japan. So it's fascinating what you find out. That that I mean, in this in this hymn Jerusalem, sung drunkenly by these two heartbroken men who uh, want to tell each other how much they love each other but just can't. There's an cultural appropriation, I think, of the of the, the messianic story, um, and and I guess they're doing that because they want they they want to be a part of the story. They wanna they wanna find some way to connect to the story, um, 
What are your all thoughts on that? I mean, uh, you know, um, uh, you know, when you look at the different images of Christ um, as a as a man, the Son of God, um, what what comes to mind for you? Well, I I don't think um, well because the story the story is set in um, the story is set in the Middle East. Yep, the story is set in Jerusalem in in. Um, you know, in, in that, in Israel, That's that right. kind of area. So, and I just don't, geographically. Yeah. I, and historically, I just don't see him being a, a white, a white middle-aged man um, with a beard and, and white clothes and, you know, and, you know, um, clean cut and, and you know, short hair or long hair or whatever. Like, I've always pictured Jesus as a man of color and a man in, and a like a man that you wouldn't pick out as Jesus. You know, yep. like the like he would look like every other man to the point where, um, some people who have negative racial views towards each other would be afraid of what he would actually look like. Yep. You know. Yeah. So. So culturally, I mean, I guess um, people have tried to appropriate. I've seen paintings of a Korean Jesus. Yeah, Korean. Yeah, yeah uh, and and so you know, we 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 want to try and, I guess, in some ways, by making Jesus in our own image, um, we we move ourselves somewhere somehow closer um, to to this this divine figure. But I, I want to set aside the cultural stuff. I mean, it's fairly clear that Jesus was a was a Palestinian man, um, but. Uh, I want to pick up on the idea of geography. I, you raised that a moment ago. Um, it, it would just be impossible in those ancient times for yep. the Bajorans to have made such a journey um, from Bajor to Cardassia um, at that time. Um, and surely it must be a, a fable designed to actually inflate the Bajoran ego, like uh, like Miles O'Brien says, you're just like the Romulans. You want to actually say that you invented everything and you did everything. Uh, in some ways, the A story and the B story collide here in this yeah. Jerusalem hymn, this idea to say um, that the story can't be true, and yet yet the story holds some meaning. Um, well, also, um, the the actual point of the A story was to prove that was correct, yep. like that, that the Bajorans, in fact, did make did it make from Bajoran space to Cardassian space, yep. but it wasn't the way that other people thought it was. Yep. People thought they just grilled it and they went through the belt, yep. and they um and they managed to survive that and they got over. But in fact, what happened was they had picked up so much speed during the Bajoran space that they had warped through the belt and they had gone straight past it and into Cardassian yeah, yep. space. So it's um. You know, it's and it's entirely possible that um, Jesus did the same thing. Yes, but you know, we don't think he's done it the way that we that we have that we're doing. Yeah, it. yep. He might have done. He might have done it differently. How meaningful or, would it like, be to know or to be able to say that Jesus was actually able to meet up with people of different cultures? What if, what if Jesus came to Australia? Uh, two thousand years ago, um, and and met and interacted with people here. Meeting with the first peoples. Um, I don't know. I feel like it wouldn't affect my belief. Um, I don't know. I I feel personally speaking. I um. I think it would be interesting to see. Jesus interact with other religions and other spiritualities and other beliefs like uh, Aboriginal Australian Dreamtime and uh, Japanese uh, religion and um, Confucianism and Taoism and Buddhism and um, and that kind of stuff. I feel like that might be uh, somewhat of a relief to know and I think that would be something that everybody in the church should think about yep. is that okay well if the person that we're following and the person that we believe in believes in other religions or follows other religions or respects other religions maybe we should be doing the same thing yeah yeah so um 
but then it goes into that hypocritical, you know, that's all uh, theoretical stuff. We don't know that he was there for sure, so how should we know that we're supposed to be doing the same thing? Um, yeah, which has always become a problem. But it's interesting to play around with it, isn't it, and actually have a bit of a, a you know, a, a play with it. Um, because we could push it even further than, you know, um, Australia, which seems like the furthest place away from 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 where Jesus was in in um, Palestine to say, well, what about Klingons and Vulcans and Romulans? You know, do they get a Jesus? Um, how does that work? Uh, and um, what, yeah, are, is what are, like a universal? What does it mean? Yeah. 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 And, and if is not, there a universal um, monotheistic um, a monotheistic religion that consists of three parts becoming one person. Yep. Um, so because that's that's what the Christianity religion is, is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which is still a monotheistic religion, Yep. but it's got three parts to it. And so. we haven't even begun to unpack what it means for feminism, for Jesus to be um, incarnate as male. Um and 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 whether or not um, we could even stretch ourselves to talk about um, a female oh. Jesus or a trans Jesus um, oh. or or oh, okay. you know like the, yeah. the 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 reality is that if 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 we're to find our 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 likeness if we're to find the perfection of humanity in in the face of Christ um, then um, how do we find our our own face our own likeness in in that as well. Yeah. And I think I think people try to physically look like I no, I think people try to make Jesus physically look like them mm-hmm. so that they can feel like they're able to have the same values and same uh, um uh strengths and stuff as he did. So um I feel like it's an added um well if I look like him or he looks like me then I can be nice or I can be selfless or I can, you know, um, do the things that he, he did. Yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. So it's a greater call on us to actually um, explore who we are and 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 how we might be more like Christ. We try to make Christ more like us so that, so that we can be more like Christ. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's fascinating. Well, look, I think we've covered some really, really cool stuff there. Was there anything else in the B story you really wanted to pick up on? I guess the um, the whole mistaken identity thing yep. was kind of funny. Was that the reason why um, Dr. Lenz actually ignored him in the first place was because she didn't actually think that he was even on the station, Yep, you know? So... She had always thought of him as uh, an an Andorian, which is completely different to, um, you know, who he actually is mm. as a human. And I, I kind of, I can kind of relate to that in a little bit because, um, you know, uh, transitioning. Even though I'm still the same person on the outside, that kind of situation. Um, even though I still look the same, uh, and my face hasn't really changed that much, but it's still it kind of has masculinized a little bit more. Um, I uh, I've actually had a look at what I looked like younger, and I do look a lot different now. And so when I was on a st- Australian story, which was on um, like about a month about ago, about a month now. ago, yep, yep, yeah. yeah. Um, when when I was on an Australian story, I got messages from people in Tasmania from my old school who said, oh, that's what you look like now. Like, oh, I had completely forgotten what you look like. Yep. But and, – and so they had forgotten – and I feel like that's what she had done is that she had forgotten what he looked like yep. or she had never actually met him in the first place. And so when she actually – when she met him for who he was – they just immediately started clicking with each other, which yeah. is what had happened was that when people started to see me for who I was, they immediately started to to understand or they immediately started to be like, Oh yeah, no, I totally see that now. Like yep. I can I, I could I can tell now when I look back and when I think of you as, as a child, like I could tell that that's where you were going. Yep. So um which is quite interesting. Because you didn't but... become male 
a couple of years ago when you when you wrote that letter to everybody saying, hey, this is who I am, that you, you have always been who you are and that when mm. we look at the photos of you as a young person, we actually can see very clearly that this is this is that the, the the gender dysphoria becomes very apparent. There's a number of pictures of you as a small child, um, whereas actually looking at you, you're going this this wearing this, my brother's shirt. Yeah, this 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 photo is is representing um, uh, 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 the, the the gender dysphoria is apparent in the photo, and so mm. a lot of people talk about transitioning and being trans like it's something that you go oh look when i was 16 i discovered that this was the it's case brand new. but yeah. you were always always who you are and and it was when you were allowed to express who you are without fear of rejection that you actually became um a holistic uh person and could start to make decisions about about that and i guess that brings us back to jake um, you know, I imagine that um, Ben would have ambitions for his son to go and become a Starfleet cap captain like himself, um, and um, and to be a writer um, is a different path. Um, but but Ben's yeah. open and accepting and affirming of Jake's journey um, because what he wants is for Jake to be the best version of himself that he can be and to to live a life uh, in all its fullness. Yeah, and and I feel like you do the same thing where you've spent your, um, you know, most of your career in theology and and spirituality and that kind of stuff. But I want to go a different way, and you're still, you know, you're still open in that sense, and you're still willing to to listen. And and, um, I guess what you know what you always say is like even if you you don't go the same way that I do, just make sure that you're fully in, enthusiastic and that you're you're just you're into it like you're and you're going to pay attention and you really enjoy it and it's you know something that gives you fulfillment so are you telling me that you're not planning to go to theological college and become a minister like your parents no no <laughs> especially when i've got two of them no <laughs> so so as we come to an end here and we we bring this uh this episode of expectations and uh and uh, and and story and narrative um, and and graduation to a close. Um, as a father, uh, I'm I'm going to say to you, as I said on Australian Story, how proud I am of you and all that you uh, have been able to achieve, um, and um, and and how proud I am that you are my son. Um, and and ask you, uh, so tell us a bit about your ambitions. Uh, do you want to go to the Pennington School and write? Uh, we're not far from New Zealand. <laughs> No, I no, I do love New Zealand, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to write. So, um, I'm, I'm thinking about uh, music, or I'm really wide open at the moment. I'm thinking about music, or teaching, or politics, or, you know, just over the last couple of days or the last couple of weeks I've really been feeling like I need to rectify something that's wrong with the, with the political system without sharing too much or without you know spreading too much of my own opinion I feel like something really needs to be changed there so yeah and certainly you you've already been quite active politically um you're currently the junior mayor of Geelong um and on yep. the youth council uh and um have been very active in leadership uh, a captain part of the captaincy team of your school um and um and and uh you know how to make a persuasive argument so uh so potentially um that they musically I, I would have to affirm you know you're you're an incredible musician um and uh, are able to and now now can reach notes you could never reach before uh, the depths of those notes um and 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 likewise uh you have a mannerism that actually says um that uh, people are able to be mentored by you and and um um learn from you when you take the time i watch you with your your younger brother uh and the way that you 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 are teaching him to do various things around the house uh, and your patience with him is uh, incredible so um, you know, any and all of those things are are a part of your path if you uh, set your sails in motion, um, and um, and see where you can get to. Yeah, well. Uh, so yeah. so my son, um, I I don't hate you. Uh, <laughs> you, you can say I don't hate you too, and um, <laughs> perhaps we could we could go out with a with a, with a song, you know. Uh, uh, and did those feet in ancient times 
and sing along. Uh, this has been the uh, Deep Faith Nine podcast. Um, I've been Will Nicholas, and it's been fabulous to be joined by Elliot Nicholas today to talk through explorers. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having till me. we have built Jerusalem in England's green and pleasant land. That was really beautiful, Chief. Oh. You know what we should do? What? We should go to Quark's and sing it for everybody.